Um, I don't think it's any surprise to any of you at all, uh, but I cannot overstate how much of a fisherman I am not. Uh, the smell of fish makes me actually get sick. I actually almost uh, lost it in a restaurant when the person next to me had king crab legs and I got a whiff of it. I ended up out on the front walk of that motel, or, or it was a Holiday Inn, I guess, and I, I left uh, my dinner there. The taste of fish makes me wonder how on earth that I managed to get myself in a position where I'm facing fish on a plate and I can become unbelievably generous when somebody feeds me fish and I say, let's feed the children, shall we? Uh, let me be more open with you. I would almost rather, and this is not easy for me to say, watch a baseball game than fish. Uh, that's, that's what that's about. Uh, fishing is, on the other hand, one of my most favorite things on earth that I like to do. Fishing for people, that is. I would have no idea uh, what, what to bait a fish line, fishing line with wherever I was. But I know exactly what to bait men with, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. So friends, uh, casting your line into the sea of humanity is the thing to do. And we need to, we need to start reeling in men, women, and boys and girls with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be about the work of doing what Jesus called his apostles to do, and that is to become fishers of men. So today Jesus picks up his first fishers of men. He's going to get four today of, of his disciples. And because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, there is always more room for others to fish. Now, earlier today I showed you a picture of some people on a bridge fishing. I saw that picture every summer because every summer my mom and dad took us to Yellowstone National Park and that's over a river in Yellowstone and that's a famous bridge and it was always packed with that. Now because the water flows one way, almost all the people fishing were on one side of the bridge and it wasn't very, maybe as wide as this center aisle here, maybe a little bit more. And I was always afraid as a little boy to cross over that because there were actually people up there and they were fly fishing. Very good at it, I'd say, because uh, they didn't hook the people next to them. How they kept all those lines in the water from getting tangled? Well, they didn't. I, I saw more than one fight when people, you know, reeled things in and somebody's line was tangled with theirs. It was a mess. But I didn't even want to walk down the other side of that bridge because I thought some hook is going to fly over from some fly fisherman and grab me. And uh, that didn't happen on that bridge. My brother caught my sister once uh, pretending to fly fish in the nose. And uh, it still had a worm on it, which shows you how much we know about fly fishing. Uh, but I don't think you use worms. But anyway, that bridge was packed wall to wall, literally shoulder to shoulder. I don't ever remember a time when we ever went to Yellowstone that that bridge didn't look like that. Now, I was never up there with him, and when my dad fished in Yellowstone, we found a spot next to the river where we, we would just throw in a bobber or something and fish right there, and then I'd pray we didn't catch anything. But anyway, I would like to do fisher of men stuff, not, not fish for fish. What a great picture that was of us that we could see that in the area of spiritual fishing. I can just see all of you lined up in our community fishing for the souls of people. Spiritual fishing for the souls of the lost. And we don't hook them and fry them, but if we don't hook them, they're going to fry. 
and we, we reel them in. And Jesus saves them and gives them eternal life. And there are other not-so-good people fishing for souls as well today. And they, are not, they don't have anything in mind that's good for the people that they're hooking for other religions and for things that aren't the truth. So I just want to encourage you today, if you want to think of it this way, I hope you do, don't give up your spot on the bridge. Don't give it up for anyone. Hang in there and keep fishing for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And I think that's going to get tougher as time goes on. But it's at the heart of Jesus in terms of what he wants us to do. So let's read that in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 18 through 22. Here's what it says. This is, remember, this, uh, on the heels of, uh, the, this comes on the heels of Jesus saying that he began his preaching ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18 says, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, so Jesus is on the seashore of Galilee, we learn that he went up to that area in in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. So I just envision him probably on the the western side of that. He's coming up over the tip, and he's going to be seeing uh, Peter and his brother. And so he's getting close to Capernaum, probably Peter's hometown there. And so he's walking on on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. So he comes along, and they're doing exactly what they do every day. They go out and they fish. If they can get on the water, they're fishing. They're trying to make a living. And he said to them, follow me. This is a call to discipleship. This was... This was a formal invitation to do something, and that is follow Jesus, who is a a rabbi considered that way by many. He is a person that is going to teach them something. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So there they are out there trying to catch real fish, fish out of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, I want to change uh, the focus of your occupation. Now, we know that later on, as a matter of fact, after Jesus died, we find that he finds them back at Galilee fishing again. They did do some fishing to help, you know, keep food on the plate at home and money coming in. But uh, this isn't the last time that they did some fishing, but they never again did it full time. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what Jesus wanted them to do instead. Notice what it says in verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, notice he uh, inserts that, and their father, and followed him, more disciples. So there's four for us right there. Now, in verses 18 through 20, we learn that Jesus exhorts us to be fishers of men. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with or sinful about fishing for fish, but Jesus wants his people to be about the business of fishing for men. And he means men, women, children, all of us. And I want you to look with me at uh, how serious Jesus is about all this stuff. Would you go to Matthew 18? I'm sorry. Yeah, Matthew 28, not 18. Matthew 28. And I want to look at verse 19 down through 24. So we go to that last chapter in the book. 18 through 20. 
And Jesus came up and spoke to them, because they were meeting in Galilee after the resurrection. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's what you get when you complete your mission with Jesus Christ. Uh, you have the authority that God gave him, as, and his authority is over all the earth. So he goes on to say, Since I have authority everywhere, go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus is going to be leaving shortly, but he wants them to know, I want you to go out and be fishers of men and reach them for Christ, then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make these people disciples of mine. Disciples are learners, and that's what their goal is to go out and do. That's still our goal today. We want people to come to know Jesus Christ. We'd love it if they would come to church and Sunday school and Bible studies and learn what it means to be a Christian, learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and then go out and reproduce that in other people. That's our whole goal. So someone must believe first before that he can be a disciple because a disciple is a learner. A disciple is somebody who has a personal relationship with Jesus. So making them a disciple first means that they have to follow Jesus as Savior. And then we can baptize those who believe. And then I wanted to go to 1 Corinthians for a minute, chapter 9. If you look in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm particularly interested in verses 19 to 24. Now this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And he's talking about these issues of uh, our life on earth for Christ. He says, for though I am free from all men. See, Jesus makes us that way. Paul says, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. In other words, we can put ourselves under the yoke of certain slaveries if it means that we can do our ministry more and better. In other words, there's times we have to put up with certain things if it opens up a door for ministry for us. So Paul says, I am free, but I make myself a slave to all so that I may win some, win them for Christ. Well, Paul, what did you do in terms of making yourself a slave? So he tells us in verse 20, to the Jews I became as, notice he didn't become one, he already was one, but he didn't go back to Judaism. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might also win Jews. That's why in the book of Acts we find him going back to fulfill an Old Testament vow and pay for his vow in the temple. Uh, here's Paul, he's doing Jewish things, and look what he's doing, and maybe we could listen to him. Anyway, so that I might win Jews, so that those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, he became a slave as one without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may win those who are without law. So he's talking about Gentiles. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker. So I'm sorry, so that I may become, did I say that, a fellow partaker of it. Now, what does Paul just tell us? <laughs> he said, in my life, what I'm doing is I'm looking at certain people and saying, 
uh, I need to be not, not so different from them that they oppose me and kick me out, but as I can, I want to be like them so that I might be able to win some of them for Christ. Just like not me, but somebody that really knows about fishing, uh, they could be in a lake and know that this is the lure I need to use here for these kind of fish. If I'm out in the deep water, I'm going to use something different perhaps. If I have a bobber, I might use a worm, depending on where I'm at and knowing the fish and what I want. And Paul says, I do that with people. And I'm willing to give up my freedoms. I'm willing to give up things that I could fight for if I could just win somebody for Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to go without something. I'm willing to do something different if it means I can talk to this person about Jesus Christ. See, people don't have to take us as we are. And if they don't like it, they can just lump it. We have to work to try to be what, what would be okay with them without compromising and without sin so that we might reach some for Christ. We're going on there in verse 18 of our text back in Matthew 4. Jesus calls his first two disciples to follow him. This is not the first time that they have met. I'm not going to take the time right now, but you can check out John chapter 1, verses 35 and 42. Jesus has already had contact with these people, albeit a short contact. They know who he is, they know what he's doing, and they know what he wants to do. And so they have some inkling of what Jesus is talking about when he said to them, come and follow me. It's not like these were strangers and he's walking along and I like the way these guys cast nets, so I'm going to ask them to be my disciples. No, uh, they have some background. Jesus then is out walking around on the, on the seashore of Galilee, somewhere near Capernaum when he calls Simon, the one they call Peter and his brother Andrew. These two brothers out working, they're trying to catch fish that very moment. They're casting a net, they're throwing nets into the sea so they can gather them up and catch fish. Matthew tells us they were doing that because their occupation is that they were professional fishermen. That's how they made a living. That's what they did every day when they could so they could put fish on the table for the family and money in their pockets. Uh, years and years ago, uh, this church uh, sent Noel and I to Israel and uh, we got to go visit the Holy Land, and I'll never forget that, and uh, what a generous gift that was. Uh, thanks again for that. Our tour guide, they were all from Dallas Seminary. We went with the seminary and their, their guides. Uh, he told us the night before, uh, Dr. Dyer said, why don't you get up early in the morning before the sun comes up and go down to the shore of Galilee, because we were, we were right next to the shore, and just stand on the, on the beach, where we were, you couldn't get on the beach, you could get on a pier over the beach, but stand there and watch the sun come up. And think about that day when the sun came up and the disciples were out on the lake and they noticed there's a fire going over there and they went to see, it turns out it's the Lord. And he'd made a charcoal fire and he already had some fish that were cooking on that first thing in the morning, early in the morning, and, and of course they went to the Lord. Well, we went down there, and we, like I said, we were on a pier over the lake uh, because we were, we were at in the city that you couldn't actually get down on the seashore. And we watched the sun come up over the Sea of Galilee. I tried to imagine what that would be like uh, if Jesus was there when the sun came up or what the disciples felt like because they spent lots of mornings watching the sun come up. And there was already a, a fisherman on the lake that were fishing that morning. You could hear them, but we couldn't see them until the light, light came on. And we walked downtown then in Tiberias, the city where we were at, and noticed that there were just cart after cart after cart, uh, just filled, heaping filled with fish, fresh fish that people could buy. 
Um, I looked at that, and that's when I made up my mind I was having eggs and sausage for breakfast, and I did. I didn't have a desire to purchase some and go roast them on the shore in charcoal, but that's what Jesus did. Dr. Craig Blomberg is going to define for us what a disciple is. So Jesus is walking along, these guys are fishing, and he says to them, Peter, Andrew, or Simon, Andrew, come and follow me. They know he's a rabbi, because everybody says that. They know he's a teacher. They know he's a man of God. Jesus just invited them to become his disciples, his learners, to attach themselves to this teacher of religion and become like him and to do what he did and go where he went and be a part of his group. And, that, and that's what happened in those ancient days, but it didn't quite happen like this. Uh, more about that in just a minute. Dr. Blomberg says, a disciple... And this is what we want to think of with these guys who are coming to follow Jesus. A disciple was an adherent or follower of a master. Here it's going to be Jesus. An intimate companion in some common endeavor. They're going to join with him with his message. Often learning and promoting a particular ideology. And Jesus has a particular theology. And they are going to be promoting that. And the results of that are in our New Testament. And so they're being invited to come and learn. Come and go with me. Watch what I do. When I was a younger pastor in another church, I made it my goal to not go do ministry by myself. If I could take an elder of the church or if I could take some young man that's uh, showing uh, signs of leadership and have him go with me and watch what it's like to go to the hospital and visit somebody. Watch what it's like to go and be there for their surgeries. Uh, go visit somebody that's upset, go visit people that are happy, whatever it was, take them with me so they could see, well, this is how he does it, so how am I supposed to do it? And that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus, in verse 19, exhorts them, come and get behind me as followers, because that's what it meant. The word follow meant to position yourself behind someone and follow them, go where they go. Most disciples of a rabbi in those days would go and ask the rabbi, could I be a member of your school? Uh, would, would you allow me to join up and follow you? So that's what Paul did when he was hanging out with Gamaliel. He had gone to Gamaliel and said, could I be one of your disciples? Now, I don't know what the entrance test was like and, and how you would pick who you want uh, to let into the school, but they came and they asked, just like you did uh, when you went to college. You put out some uh, feelers to find out where could I go. You signed some stuff and you, you told them all about yourself. And then they wrote a letter and told you whether or not you could come. Here is Jesus Christ. He's not going around having people come and ask him if they can join up. Jesus is going around and asking the people that he wants to be his disciples, to come and follow in behind him, learn what he's doing, have an intimate relationship with him here through faith, and then go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what he wanted. Disciples for Jesus then are called by him. In fact, he says in John chapter 6, verse 20, these words, Jesus answered them and said, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? You know what that means? Jesus purposely chose Judas Iscariot, knowing he was a devil inside and he wasn't going to change, and he brought him along for the purposes of God in the whole issue of what God was going to do through Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus told them to follow him. 
and he would change the focus of their occupation. They would be completely different in what they were doing the majority of their time. They would now be fishing for men from that point on. See, the call to discipleship was an unconditional, unexplained demand, not polite, reasoned invitations, but a command to come and follow him. Following Jesus involved both traveling with him and ethically obeying his teaching and modeling of the, of the will of God. It could and did lead to hardship and to peril. You sign up with Jesus, it's not going to be easy. I want to look at a couple of places uh, like that. Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, when he says, Then the scribes came and said to him, Teacher, uh, I, one of them said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 22, but Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, what I'm asking you to do is more important than going to your dad's funeral or your mom's funeral. You're going to be gone. You don't, you're not going to take the leave of absence. When you sign up with me, you've signed up for good. And then Matthew chapter 10 and verse 38. And he says, and he who does not take up his cross, everybody knew what a cross was for in those days. That's where you give up your life and die. And somebody puts you on that on purpose to take your life. So he said, he who does not take up his own cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He's calling on disciples that are committed to, to the death to follow him. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And by the way, he says, if you, want, if you wish to save your life, uh, you're, you're going to lose it. If you are willing to lose your life, you're going to save it in those next few verses. And then 19 through 21, we're just getting a taste uh, of what it means to be a disciple. 19 verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. And this made the young man very, very sad. It says he grieved because he was a wealthy young man. And he decided not to give up the worldly wealth and follow him. And then Jesus teaches them about uh, the power of wealth in a person's heart. Please note, their call to discipleship meant less time with family and without gainful employment. I believe Jesus lived on donations of the followers. It was really, if you want to think about it this way, a call to a life of basic homelessness for Christ. In verse 20, notice the response time when Jesus called. The men turned and it was immediate that they went and followed Jesus. Uh, how does a person do that? How does a person just give it up and immediately go and follow Jesus? Well, in Matthew 10, 34. To 38. Jesus says these words. These are difficult for us. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, 
and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He of you who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me, you get the idea Jesus mentions that quite often, is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Wow. Jesus is serious about our discipleship. For what it is worth, friends, I believe that you and I are living in one of the greatest mission fields on earth right now, especially as we see people turn away from Christ, turn away from uh, his religion and go into Eastern mysticism and uh, demonic stuff. Anybody who wants to be a fisherman is, is going to be able to be a fisherman. And I'm here to tell you that it won't look like the bridge in Yellowstone because there are fewer and fewer of us and there are fewer people willing to take up their fishing pole for men with the gospel and go after them. Is there anybody here that wants to be a fisher of men? And isn't our time short? We need to be about this work. When time is over, uh, what will be left? Only people who took the bait. Uh, I desire that people would be fishing, and I'm not talking about from a boat. I'm not saying you can't uh, witness to somebody in a boat. You can, but I'm talking about being on a boat for fishing for uh, fish in the water. I'm talking about fishing for men, for women and boys and girls. That's what's important. These people immediately left their nets and followed him. That's a challenge to us. How do men fish for men? Well, friends, you pick a spot, you cast and reel, you cast and reel, and you keep trying different spots. And sometimes you troll. We need that kind of effort with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, there are some people that work harder at fishing for, for fish than they do for men. And we are short on people. Jesus said, lift up your eyes to the harvest. Where are the harvesters? Right? Guarantee you the bridge you're fishing from will not be crowded like the one in Yellowstone. And God picked a spot for you. Are you working that spot? <laughs> and he may move you to a different spot. He moves you there so you'll work that spot. That's the point. What has Jesus called me to do? What has Jesus called you to do? And have you got the in line behind him? And are you following him yet? That's the issue in front of us. Each of us has to decide. In verses 21 to 22, we follow Jesus irrespective of worldly entanglements. Jesus doesn't put up with excuses. Yeah, Jesus, hang on a while. I'll be with you in a couple days. have to go bury my mom or bury my dad. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. He was, he was casting out a test to find out, are you serious about this? Or are you just making up excuses why you can't do this ministry? Are you just saying, well, as soon as I get done with that, I'll be there. I think Jesus knew, no, you won't. In verse 21, Jesus finds two more men that he wants for disciples. Here's another set of brothers, James and John, whose father is uh, named Zebedee. They're in the middle of mending their fishing nets while standing in their boat with their father. It's a family business. The boys are a part of it. Jesus calls them, like the other two, to follow him. I have to wonder for a minute what, what uh, the dad, Zebedee, must have thought 
when this guy comes along on the beach, maybe he didn't know about Jesus as well as the boys did, but he says, come and follow me. He's standing there holding his nets, trying to get the things mended, because that's how they make a living, and they just get out of the boat and follow this guy. Well, what must he think? Now, Mark 1.20 tells us that there were servants with Zebedee also helping. But still, there goes his boys. When are they going to come back? And every Christian parent faces this same issue when one of their children decides to go into full-time ministry and then leave. And they don't know where that's going to lead them. I know that when my mom and dad were thinking of moving out of Denver, they looked at us kids and said, where shall we go? And they decided to move to Arkansas with my brother. So that means his kids get more attention than my kids do. Even though they deny that's true, it's true. And the point is this. I said, well, why didn't you come live here? He said, well, because pastors are so mobile, uh, we'd move there and you'd be gone. Okay, whatever. But we had to make some, some things change. So we don't always get to have Christmas with them. All our, all our Hubbard family reunions are on Saturday and Sunday. Don't get to go to them. I have a new family. I have a different family. God replaced this family here with the one I had. And this is where I want to be. This is who I want to talk to. And every, every Christian parent, uh, like the parents of the missionaries that we are supporting, has to accept that Jesus called on his son or his daughter for their life. And that needs to be their focus. Dad, I'm not coming back to the, to the boat. I have a different boat. Noel's dad uh, tried to get me to come back and take over the farm three times in our life while we were here. And I had to say, no, no, no. Don't think I wasn't tempted. No, no, no. Because that's not what God called me to do. And all I had to do was go out and spend two weeks running a tractor drilling wheat and realize this is horrible. I haven't talked to anybody in two weeks. When I first go there, I said, this is marvelous. I don't have to put up with phone calls and stuff, and then I just do whatever I want. And pretty soon it just wore on me. I said, I can't wait to get out of this tractor and go back and be with people. That's because of a call. Well, these two boys, when Jesus called them, he called a couple of firecrackers. And they are destined to be called, in Greek, bonerges, which means sons of thunder. And that's because they uh, had a little conflict while they were following Jesus with some people. And they came up and said, hey, we know what to do. Why don't you call fire and lightning out of the sky and burn them up? <laughs> Jesus didn't take that advice at the time, but they called them sons of thunder. They're going to be walking away from the family business and from family. In verse 22, note the similarity in action between the two sets of brothers. Jesus called and immediately they left to follow him. When Jesus calls you and I for something in ministry, how long does it take us to get there? How often do we think about something else I need to go do? Dr. Blomberg said this, when Jesus calls a person to discipleship, there is no excuse for delay or disobedience. See, none of these guys are moving up the earthly ladder. Nobody has dreams anymore of owning the family, uh, the Zebedee fishing business. There's no ladder where they are going. <laughs> what is there for them? Jesus held up these wonderful things about following him. Well, uh, we, won't have a, we won't have a bed to lay our head down on. We're out on the road all the time probably had some tents or something. Uh, we're going to have to rely on God at every point to make sure we have enough to eat and, and you know, a roof over our heads if, if it's bad. 
Um, I also need to let you know that we're headed for servanthood. If you really want to be a leader with me, you need, to be, you need to be the servant of everyone. I'm not looking for people to lord it over others. Oh, and did I mention, did I mention taking up your cross? <laughs> you know what you do with a cross, don't you? You die on it. We've already read three different times where he said that. There's servanthood. You see, the world looks at that in terms of following Jesus. They look at that whole thing and what he called us to do. And the world sees it as complete and utter foolishness. Absolutely foolish. They see kids give up a career somewhere and take off for the mission field and do something over there for Christ and live like paupers and wonder where their food's coming from.